Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi and welcome to Creative Matters Episode 5. Thank you so much for listening. Today I'm talking to Liz Smith. Liz is an embroidery artist living in Muruai Beach, Auckland, New Zealand. She also has a business called The Stitch Smith, which brings you fresh new designs for needlepoint, cross-stitch and embroidery kits and patterns. Most of Liz's designs are drawn from the wonderful scenery in New Zealand, and she is constantly inspired by the local flora and fauna here. She loves birds, and a lot of her designs feature the gorgeous native birds that live in her garden and in the forest nearby at Murawai Beach. I have done one of Liz's embroidery classes, which I loved, and Liz has inspired me to try something new and recreate my abstract paintings with three. Welcome to Creative Matters on Air, Liz. How are you? I'm fine, Mandy. Thanks very much for asking me. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. Um, so what have you been up to lately? Well, I've had a very busy summer. Um, I think I've been away just about every single weekend this summer. Um, I've just recently come back from doing the Abel Tasman Walk, which wow. was fantastic. Was if you haven't been down there, I highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah, we've just been down there, but I didn't do the walk. Yeah, it was it yeah. was fantastic, and I was really impressed with the organisation down there. Mm. I mean, it's not a difficult walk, and there's so many options for kids, older people. You don't have to put your pack on and trudge for days and days. You mm. can just do half an hour. You can do three hours. You can do four days, whatever you oh, like. Wow. It's a really good combination of water taxi services, overnight accommodation. It mm. was fantastic, and to be honest with you, I think it was really good to do it when there were no international visitors because yeah. I hear it can get quite busy, mm. like Queen Street. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky was to quiet. be doing it. And it was out of school holiday time too, yes. which is always yeah. good. It was great. Oh, wonderful. Great. So um, just to get us started, Liz, I'd like you to tell us about um, where you were born, your childhood, and if you were a creative Kiwi kid. Well, I was born in Auckland and um, to a very ordinary middle-class family. And in terms of creativity, for me and my family, it was not so much as being creative, it was necessity, really, because back in the day, we didn't have the option to buy cheap clothes like we do now. If you wanted something, you had to pretty much make it. So my mother was an amazing woman. She taught us how to sew, how to knit, um, you know, how to make an amazing outfit out of a tea towel sort of thing. She was, mm. she was really amazing. Mm. So it was more out of necessity rather than a desire to be creative. Um, she got us into all sorts of things. She bought a printing press. You know, we um, did jigsaw puzzles. We played games. She she was creative in that sense. But more more sort of um, as an interest and as a necessity rather than encouraging an artistic side, mm. I think. Yeah. So sort of the practicalities of, Practicality, of making. Yeah. 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 And Absolutely. I guess it was that time. My mum was like that too, a real sewer. Um but she didn't really pass it on to me. 
So did your mum actually spend time sitting you down, teaching you? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I've got two older sisters as well, which was really good. But my mother was a great one for reading. So um, before TV, we didn't have TV till I was much older. Um, she would, this is another amazing thing about her, she used to read and knit at the same time. So she'd read aloud to all of us. We'd be sitting around on the floor. Oh, she wow. would read... Um, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and all those sorts of stories to us while she was knitting one of us a sweater. Oh, my goodness. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we grew up with that mm. around us, knowing that all of that was possible. And, yes, yeah. yeah, so we all learned to knit. We all learned to sew, did sewing at school. Um, yeah, so we can all we can all knit. Mm. Um, I don't knit so much anymore because I'm busy with my embroidery, but I can knit, and if I had to, I would. could. Yeah, yeah, and sewing machine kind of stuff. That sort of oh, sewing. and that's that sort of stood me in such good stead. Yeah. Being having those basic skills mm. um, is essential. Yeah, and do you did you go through that process? I mean, we're kind of jumping forward a little bit here, but did you make your own clothes at any stage? All the time when I was younger, all the time. My sisters and I, we all made our sixth form social ball dresses. Wow. I remember there's a, a woman called, a uh, designer called Jane Muir, who was very famous back in the day. Mm, I remember her. Yeah, she was famous for um, her um, dresses made out of jersey material, which, as you may know, is quite difficult to sew because mm. it's stretchy. And I made this amazing, I can see it to this day, mm. halt neck jersey long ball dress with pin tucks all down the front. Wow. So every single one of those goddamn pin tucks. <laughs> Some of them were a little bit wobbly, but, you know. How so, amazing. Yeah. And what colour was that? Pale blue. Nice. And my sister made for my 12th, my um, second form social, she made me a beautiful pink dress with dark pink ribbon, little empire line. Mm. Yeah, it beautiful. Was, yeah. So it was just part of your life, a sort of thing that you all Absolutely, did. Absolutely, yes. yeah. But as I say, it wasn't necessarily to mm. satisfy any creative urge. It was yeah. it was a necessity and a, a practical mm. consideration. Which is a reflection of those times, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And probably in those times also creativity wasn't valued as much. It was more about the practicalities yeah. of life. Um, what about just, just for people who are listening, we're talking about back in the day, which is for me is the 70s. Mm. Um, so part of that happy flower power, flower child growing up was fantastic. So it was a lot of freedom in mm. term, and, you know, the, the 50s and 60s were well behind. So we're going through that real freedom of muslin tops and, you know, Florals. Cook Street markets, yes. all that kind of Amazing. neat stuff. Yeah, so yeah. great. Yeah, it was a good era, good decade. So what was your dad doing? Was he creative or did he have Well, he was um he was a librarian and he his creativity was music. Mm. He was a fantastic singer. He was in the Dorian Choir, um, which I believe is still going, a very famous New Zealand choir. And he played the piano. So as little kids we all we all learnt to play the piano and mm. we all had to learn another instrument. And my poor family, I chose the violin, which was just <laughs> ghastly. <laughs> But I gave that up quite fast. I was terrible at it. Um, so we we were musical as well, even mm. though I don't think any of us were particularly gifted. Um, we did have that background, mm. which I think is another mm. another layer yeah. of education. Absolutely, and just having that openness to that kind of creativity as growing up, yeah, music or art or crafting or yeah. whatever it is, is, yeah. is great. Well, I think mm. a lot of families. Um, particularly sporting families, there's a lot of emphasis on playing sport, mm. which is also really important. 
um, but sometimes that's done to the exclusion of the arts possibly mm. and sometimes it's the opposite. Some kids are just um, art nerds or something like that or they're in their bedrooms with their computer games. Mm. They're just focused on one thing mm. whereas I feel quite blessed. I had a quite a rounded yeah. education in terms of extracurricular activities. Um, I was pretty terrible at sport but, you know, I did play it and, you know, so I, I had a go at everything. Mm. So. Yeah, you're encouraged to, I guess. And so um, through primary school, you, you're obviously doing quite a bit of making. But then um, when you came to high school, were you wanting to do art subjects? Were you making that connection with the, the making and actually studying art, visual arts? or No, no. I never considered myself to be a creative person at all. I really wanted to be, but I um, never felt that I was an arty kid, not compared to some of the kids that, I did, you know, I did go to art classes, but there were some kids in the art class who were clearly mm. really creative, and I was just a very pedestrian plotter and just did what I was told and had a go. But I never felt that urge or that passion to explore that side. Mm. Other than yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely something that's arrived later in life. Mm. And so through high school. Were you doing sort of other academic subjects or did you have something that you were super interested in that kind of caught your attention or well, did you just go through high school and, and head out like I did? Yeah, I went through high school and headed out. I didn't yeah. go to university. I left yeah. New Zealand when I was 17 and went off adventuring oh, and wow. um, didn't really have time or the inclination to I, – I did do some knitting, um, made some ghastly sweaters, and mm. you know, as you do um, – <laughs> But I didn't really have the time or the opportunity to do anything really until I got back from travelling. And so, what? Tell us about your travels. Well, I went to Australia first, and I lived there for several years, and had a few different sorts of jobs and media and TV. Um, and then I went to travelled all through Europe, as you do. You know, I did a um, did, would do a few months temping in England, save up enough money to do a trip, and so then go to Europe come back, save up some more money. Mm-hmm. Ended up in the States for five years. I was working on charter yachts oh, in the wow. Mediterranean, which was um, Mediterranean Europe and um, the Virgin Islands in the Caribbean, which was marvellous. Wow. And then I thought, um, I got to 30 and I thought, no, oh, I really need to grow up, possibly. <laughs> you know, I can't do this forever. So I came back to New Zealand and got a proper job and was in the corporate world for about, oh, 10, 12, or maybe 15 years or so. Mm. And during that time, I did start to feel the need to do something with my hands, Mm. especially when you're in the corporate job where it's all sort of back in the 90s was all quite structured and, you know. What were you doing? I worked for a merchant bank, um, which I really enjoyed. And, in fact, that was the beginning of my exposure to art in New Zealand in particular, the merchant bank I worked for had an amazing art collection. So I was surrounded by Hotary, mm. Chilcot, Banbury, you know, the big names in art, mm. Len Lai. We had a Len Lai sculpture, grass sculpture oh, wow. in our foyer. I was really lucky to mm. see all of that firsthand. Yeah, and you were taken with that. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And so that was my introduction to high-end New Zealand art. And I started to become really interested in it and, um, you know, started going to the art gallery and all that kind of stuff. So that's mm. where with the germ of of my appreciation of for art 
came in and I was also had spent a lot of time in Italy and France going to all the galleries and mm. the museums and really enjoying that, even though I didn't know anything about anything. Mm. doesn't mean to say you can't look no. at it and be amazed. Yeah, absolutely. So you uh, you had that appreciation that was sort of, was that in your late 20s? Yeah, early 30s, yeah. 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 And um, then from, from there, um, so you said you were starting to make as you were working in the corporate world. So what were you doing at the beginning? Well, I... Um, was too busy for the first 10 years or so. Um, and then, funnily enough, I caught an inner ear infection and I was off work for two weeks because I was very unbalanced and I couldn't drive and my eyes were all over the place and I couldn't watch TV and I couldn't read. But for some weird reason, my sister bought me a needlepoint kit, mm. uh, one, of, um, one of an ermine, what's referred to as an ermine kit, which is a designer out of the UK. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a bunch of lemons and grapes, still life, you know, quite mm. old-fashioned. But I could concentrate on the distance between my eyes and my hands. For some reason, I could concentrate. My eyes worked at that level, mm. but I couldn't I couldn't read and I couldn't watch the TVs. Mm. But, so this gave me something to do for two weeks. And so it took that long for, to, for it to come right. Wow. So I finished the first one in a week and my sister went and bought me another one. And so I did these two needlepoint kits and I just fell in love. And I thought, this is fantastic. I love it. I love the meditative quality of sitting there stitching. Um, had the radio on. It was wonderful. It was the best two weeks of my life, mm. apart from the fact that I didn't feel great. Yeah. And so that was the very beginning. And then it How sort amazing. of – it's like the universe sent that to you. It did. Yeah. It did. And your amazing sister supporting you yeah. and encouraging you down that path. Yeah, again. yeah. It was great. Yeah. And um, so, you know, time passed. And then I left the corporate world and I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? And I thought, well, I really want to, I do want to get back into needlepoint or stitching of some sort. I didn't do embroidery at this stage. It was just needlepoint. Mm-hmm. And excuse me, I'm sorry to be ignorant, but what's the difference between – Embroidery and needlepoint. Yeah, point. I was just going to explain that. Yeah. Um, needlepoint is done with generally done with wool on a on a mesh canvas, and embroidery generally refers to surface embroidery, which is done with finer cottons, finer threads, and you don't necessarily have to fill in the whole background of the fabric. Whereas with needlepoint, you generally fill in all of the background, mm. so it's quite um, an intimidating task time wise. You can't just do a little bit. You have to do the whole. For mm. example, my cushion kits, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit later, um, are 40 centimetres by 40 centimetres. centimeters, And you need to cover every bit of the fabric, which takes, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 hours. So mm. it's not wow. for the faint-hearted. Yeah. And which is why it took me a week to finish one. But I was doing it all day, every mm. day. It was, you know, so but. People who buy on my kits might take me a year. They really? have an hour a week or something. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. So, um, yeah, I caught the bug and I wanted to do some contemporary New Zealand designs. And I went round to all the – there used to be some embroidery shops in those days. Now there's only a couple left. Mm. But I went round to all the shops and there wasn't anything of any contemporary nature at all. It was all chickens and a basket and puppy dogs. Farmhouses. And farmhouses and <laughs> – flower bouquets and things like that. And I thought, this is not good enough. So I actually made up some of my own designs. I wouldn't call myself um, an artist by any stretch in in strict sense of being able to draw. Mm. I can't draw, but I can um, 
sketch something out and get something approximate. Mm. And especially with the tools and technology now of computer programs, I can do a squiggle and through Illustrator or InDesign, I can turn that into something that looks like what I want. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I did some of my own designs, stitched them up, and then I went round, I showed them to some friends and they all said, this is amazing, you need to do something with this. And I went to the few remaining embroidery shops and I said, what do you think? They loved it and it really grew from there. Mm. And did yeah. they sell your kits Yeah, at the shops? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I sell through, I've got about 10 retailers in New Zealand and I sell through a distributor in the States. Um, the The handbrake for me is shipping costs. Mm. It's just it's just outrageous, mm. you know. So it's my so overseas market cost. is very limited. Yeah. 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 So the shops, so was it like 10 shops around New Zealand or around the world? In New Zealand. In New Zealand. Yeah. And then did you have actual stores in other countries or was it more online? Um, it's online, mm. yeah. The distributor in the States sells to shops. Um, right. So they sell like a wholesaler for me. Yeah. And then they, um, they do direct sales as well, mm. but they will – other customers in the States will approach them and say, oh, we like the look of those kits. Can we have some? And then they'll contact me and I send them mm. over. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So we have to go back a little bit. So you um, you made those kits um, and then how did you work out sort of how to put it all together as a sort of sellable oh, product? Yeah. Well, good question. You know when you're at the dentist or the doctor and you're reading Women's Weekly and you're reading these stories about these women who started making ice cream in their shed mm. and fudge <laughs> in their kitchen and yeah. all of a sudden it's a $10 billion business. Yeah, yeah. You're like, whoa, that's yeah. easy. Yeah, and they all say the same thing. If they'd known how hard it was, they never would have got started. Yeah. And ignorance is bliss in terms of if you don't bother with the business plan, just do it. Because if I'd done a business plan, which I had no idea how to do anyway, mm. I never would have done anything. I mean, it was really hard to find the wholesale suppliers mm. um, because in the early 2000s, the internet was not what it is today. And it was really difficult. And particularly wholesalers weren't advertising their wares. You needed to know who to approach and mm. like you, you know what, yeah. do you, what do you look up yeah to, exactly I need to find a supplier of canvas of this type you look up canvas in the yellow pages and mm. you know you get nowhere so yeah. it was really hard so different. and asking other people in the industry for help sometimes worked and sometimes didn't because mm. I didn't want to give, give their secrets away which yeah. you know that's fair enough too mm. so a lot of it was trial and error and I wasted a lot of time and banged my head against mm. lots of walls. It probably wasn't a waste, though, because it's informed your practice Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Everything. All, you know, all the hard stuff is, is Everything is, was a learning, you know, yeah. learning experience. So mm. um, I learned a lot. And so it's taken a really – it took a long time to mm. get to a level where it's streamlined yeah. now. And so the shops that you went to in the beginning, were they selling a lot of your work at that yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, with the advent of online purchasing, I think retail in general was in trouble, mm. and particularly with supplies like embroidery supplies, because it's not something that you necessarily need to touch and feel. If you're Particularly if you're an experienced mm. stitcher, you know what you want. Yeah. You don't need to go into a shop. You just want to be able to buy it online. Like lots mm. of us do our shopping online these days yeah. and, and embroider- actual physical embroidery shops um, are just as much a victim of that as mm. any other store. Yeah. 
there are still a couple in Auckland um, and there's a couple around, you know, there's a few around. Um, they tend to have become more, um, less specialised. So, for example, an embroidery shop used to be just sell embroidery stuff, but now they sell, sell knitting yarn, they sell quilting material, mm. they sell sewing machines. Sewing in particular and knitting has had a huge resurgence. Yeah, it really has. So these specialist shops have branched out, so mm. they're now catering to a much wider audience, mm. and they they really have to, I suppose. They need to mm. be all things to all people. Yeah. And, and they become a destination shop. Yeah. Because, you know, people like to love love to come in and fossick around yeah. and look at all the buttons and yeah. the pretty colours. And, and as you say, especially probably people who aren't as experienced or don't know the products as well or the colours, colour names and... They need to go into a store. And there's places like Spotlight in New Zealand, um, which is not such a sort of boutique store. It's more of a chain store. Mm. Do you think that's been good or bad for the industry? I think it's been good in that it's available. It's making some stuff available. Mm. Unfortunately, and no disrespect to Spotlight because they do provide a good service, the quality is not amazing. Their fabric, for example, is not top quality. Mm. It's cheap fabric. Um but again, you know, at least it's something and it does mm. make it accessible to people who yeah. necessarily don't necessarily have the budget for yeah, high-end fabrics. Mm. The people in the shops aren't always necessarily trained. Yeah. And a lot of them don't really know much about crafting. If you get a good person, it's amazing. But mm. really, if you want help with something, you're better off going to YouTube. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the ladies in there aren't necessarily crafters themselves. Mm. But I do think they provide a good service. Yeah, definitely. There's a place for that kind of store. But it's not it's not the same sort of specialty store, mm. I guess, is it? Yeah, yeah. Ah, so that's really interesting. And then um, from there, where did you go? I mean, did you decide from the stores that you were going to um, approach other places, or you went to the wholesale then, and then I guess eventually yeah. you became online at some point. Yep. So when did that happen? Um, that was sort of in the mid two thousands, and I really struggled with the technology side of things. You know, I tried to make my own website with Wix, and I was I was just really struggling, mm. and everything was taking ages to load. And, I was, and as it turned out, in hindsight, I discovered that my laptop was never designed or didn't have enough RAM um, to manage for uploading photos. No wonder I was having trouble. Mm. I just kept my computer kept crashing so oh, I put up no. with that for about a year before I realized what a waste of time it was wow. but by that stage um, a lot of these template websites were starting up so all you needed was some images and they would give you the template and you could just put the stuff in there mm. and I'm still with the same um, website provider shout out to Storby they're amazing mm-hmm. um, and they keep introducing new features so my website has become more sophisticated mm. as I've gone on that's great which I think is a huge help to people who are wanting to start out. All mm. of this technology is so helpful. You don't need to be. Because when you, mm. as you would know, as a sole operator, not only do you need to be the creative person, you need to be the tax man, you need mm-hmm. to be payroll, yeah. you need to be the tech expert, you need to be the supply expert, you need to be logistics. Mm. It's a lot to it's do. It's a lot to take on. And it's it's hard always coming up with the ideas. You know, every now and then I might, might have a conversation with someone and they suggest something. It's like, oh, my God, it's like a little gem. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, it's so nice to have that mm. from somebody when you w- work by yourself, you know, you run your own business. Um, and it is, it's a challenge to, to learn all that kind of stuff, isn't it? But I find 
you know, I have tried having other people work on my website, but it's just I'm not that kind of person who comes mm. up with a concept, sends it to someone, and I need it straight away. Yeah. So uh, I ended up doing all my website stuff by myself and social media. So did you feel, feel that as well with a website? You wanted to run it yourself? Oh, yeah. At your own well, pace? And also um, it was a question of money as well. You know, I couldn't mm. actually afford to pay anyone to do mm. that stuff. So it was, it's been a steep, steep learning yeah. curve, not to mention all the programs like Illustrator and InDesign and Photoshop. And, you know, I'm I'm a master none of those things I'm just you know a plotter I've mm. got a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things but you're obviously doing well because your well, website's it's, great well it's, it's behind the scenes it's a shambles mm. but you know <laughs> <laughs> may take longer than necessary but it does it takes me forever to do things yeah. but um, is it getting easier yeah yeah for sure and also I like mastering something and it's much as you say it's much easier for me to f- it takes me a while to figure it out. Once I've figured it out, I can do it quite quickly rather than ringing somebody up or emailing, emailing someone and ask, waiting for three days to get it back. It mm. just doesn't work mm. when you need something now. Yeah. So, um, And my business is never going to get so enormous that I can employ massive amounts of staff to do mm. these things for me. Mm. So, Yeah, that's yeah. good. And it's good learning. You know, It's nice to be learning as you go, I think. Yeah, well, it keeps you in touch with what's happening in the mm. world too. Mm. Um, you know, keeping up with social media, I think, is really important. Yeah, and you're very good with that, I think. I mean, your your Instagram, you use Instagram quite a bit, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I do. I go in fits and starts, and to be honest with you, I find it quite relentless. Mm. Um, if you are going to start a business, you need to be prepared that that is part of it. It's relentless, it's ongoing, and if you don't post for a while, people forget about you and... So you do need to make the commitment to yourself that you are going to post regularly. Mm. And I do fall down on that sometimes. In fact, a lot of times I fall down on it. I don't post once a week like I say I'm going to. Mm. Um, But I do what I can Mm. when I can. I think it's tricky. I think it depends on the type of business um, as to how easy that social media can be. You know, with Creative Matters, there's stuff happening every day out in classes and, you know, with the courses that we do and other other stuff. So it's quite easy. There's a lot of material that I yeah. can use. Whereas for my own art, art Instagram, Amanda Yarkic page, it's if I'm not making, I can't. I feel like I've got nothing to say yeah. or nothing to Absolutely. show. Absolutely. And with my embroidery, it takes me forever. It takes me hours and hours and hours to create something little. Mm. So I've got nothing to say. Mm. And then you find yourself – I started a blog – many years ago, um, which I discontinued not long afterwards because I found I don't have enough to say. So then I have to spend a lot of hours searching the internet for other people's stuff. Mm. This is ridiculous. Mm. So I stopped that because it wasn't productive. And then Mm. fortunately at that time Facebook and Instagram were taking off. This suits me a lot better. You can have a a nice image and put some relevant text. But even so, I'm very aware of, I don't want to, you know, bash people over the head with it. Um, Embroidery, I know, is a very niche interest. And people who follow me, follow me. That's great. Mm. Um, It's not my end. My main aim in life is to make people follow me and get get more followers and Mm. all that sort of stuff. Although that could lead to more sales, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a catch-22. So I think the effort that you put in is rewarded by sales. Mm. But um, I've got quite a... um, good Instagram following, but a lot of it's from America. Mm. And so they don't necessarily want to buy my stuff because of the shipping costs. 
but they're very supportive, which is also really nice. It's nice to get validation that, you know, people like your stuff, um, that you're not out there in a wilderness by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So from that point of view, you feel like you are doing something worthwhile and giving people joy when they look at your images. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that you that American people are following you yeah. more than New Zealand yeah, people. Yeah, I get really lovely comments. Facebook, it's, I've got different audiences, seems, and I think most people do, and this is something that, you know, you learn as you go along. Um most of my New Zealand followers are from New Zealand. Uh, Facebook followers are from New Zealand, mm. and a lot of my Instagram people are, seem to be from other places. It's mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the social media is a big thing, and I think you know some social media expert listening to us talking about it would be saying you should be doing this, yeah. or you know you could be doing that, or yes, you could find posts that are educational, or you know, adding value in other ways and not just mm. showing your product. But you know, yeah. it's it's a big it's a big thing. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, and to be honest with you, I'd rather spend my time making something. Mm. And and I'm look, I'm not a social media expert at all. I'm definitely not. I post when I've got something to post about. Mm. I send out a newsletter when I've got something to say. Yeah, and that's good. And then that's it. Mm. Lots of people I know and follow, they do something every single day, and I've noticed that a lot of it's quite repetitive, mm. and it's a pretty photo of the same thing from a different angle. Yeah. And I think, great, you know, that's good, but I've seen that. You know, not interested. Quick, quickly scroll past. Yeah. And it still has to be real and authentic. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Instead of just thinking I have to do something and making it up and, you know, chucking something on. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's a whole other podcast episode, isn't yeah. it? Talking about <laughs> social media. So um I mean you've done so well with your with your business. Um did you actually have a mentor, business mentor, or where did you get your sort of entrepreneurial skills from as a sort of as a whole do you think um well ignorance is bliss as I said before um when I first started doing my first designs I just it wasn't that I had no fear of failure um I just didn't have very big expectations I mm. thought well, I'll just put it out there see what happens mm. and as I said I didn't have a business plan didn't do yeah, anything so you weren't planning the big business from no, the beginning no I just wanted to do something for myself initially mm. and mm. it kind of grew by accident mm. Which and is good. um I did have the space and time to develop that. Um, I was working, um, I wasn't working full time at that point. And my husband was very supportive of me. And he, um, he, he was very artistic himself. Mm. And he would tell me, no, that looks terrible. Those colours don't go together, <laughs> that sort of thing. How did you find that? <laughs> really good, because oh, I really good. respected his opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, I'm not sure if I'd be quite the same with George. <laughs> <laughs> he had very good taste. Yeah. And I think when you're working on your own, sometimes you can get mm. a little bit inside your own head. Yeah. Sometimes you need an feedback. outside perspective. He thought I was mad. He said, why are you doing, putting all the, you know, mm. I was putting in all this, these hours, all this work, making no money. Mm. He said, he comes from an opposite direction who's you know he doesn't see the point of doing anything unless you're going to get rewarded for it you know why would you do all of that work for nothing but different rewards I guess different rewards yeah yeah. I was doing it because I just loved it yeah even though it was you know a lot of work and a lot of stress because I was didn't know what I was doing Mm. but then you got there and did all that learning which is amazing yeah Yeah. and so um you've got your business the stitch smith so you also have the um the classes that you do Yes. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. So I teach embroidery classes and I do those at my house out here at Murawai, um, which I love. Um, I've got, um, I do a class probably once every four to six weeks. 
and I really, really enjoy that process. I get a lot of young women to my classes. Um, these are the women that missed out on their mothers teaching them how to knit, sew, embroider, all those things, because mm. their mothers possibly were busy out. You know, get they were told, don't stay in the kitchen, don't learn how to do all of these things because you'll get marginalised. You'll become a person mm. who's just a house, Going, just a housewife. Yeah, get a career get a career, go and be a whatever you want. Mm. Um, so those women were busy doing that, following that dream, which is absolutely fantastic. But their daughters, other ones that are coming to me now, they wanted, because of this resurgence mm. in wanting to grow your own veggies, make your own clothes, knit your own sweaters, mm. embroider little things for your baby. Or, um, those are the ladies that are coming to me because they want to learn all these mm, things. And I so just think great. it's fantastic. It's awesome. And I it wonder is. where that resurgence came from. Yeah, I don't know because it's, let's face it, it's not cheap. No. You know, it's much cheaper to go and buy something from Kmart mm. than it is to buy m fabric, buy a sewing machine, make it, spend some money on embroidery, threads, and needles and bits and mm. pieces, and spend the time. Exactly. The Who's time. got time to do yeah, these things these yeah. days? So, lockdown has been, ironically, really good for my business because people are, now do have time, mm. haven't got time to travel. So, what else can we do? Yeah. And hopefully, people are learning lessons. About the, yeah. the way they live their life. Absolutely. I get that feedback a lot. People don't realise how meditative embroidery can be. Mm. Um, knitting is very much the same. Um, one of the things that um, I really enjoyed about this process was um, my husband and I lived in an apartment and when we first met and I moved in with him and he's he was a sport lover, so he loved watching sport on TV. He wasn't a big reader, so the TV was sort of on most nights. And if I wanted to be with him, which I did because I was totally in love, mm -hmm. I would sit on the couch and I'd have this feeling, well, I feel like I'm wasting my time here. The sport's okay. I don't mind watching it. But I feel like I need to be doing something else. Mm, yeah. So that's when I started getting more and more into my stitching. So mm. I could sit happily on the couch, on my couch doing my stitching and Rob be on his couch watching sport. We could be together yeah. in love. You yeah. know, it was fantastic. It so was wonderful. Good. So that was a gift he gave you. It was a gift. And um it was very harmonious. Mm. You know, I know I know there are people who go to separate house, separate ends of the house to watch their own TV programs, mm. and they don't spend the evenings together. Mm. And this was an, so our nice. way of yeah dealing with that. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. and that gave you the opportunity to be making yeah again as yeah. you did as a child. Yeah, so yeah. I become more and more obsessed, of course. So mm. I, I stitch every day, um, yeah, a little bit here and there. Yeah, so I've seen. Um, I mean. Just as long as I've known you, probably only five, three or four, five years through Midway Arts and that kind of thing. Um, through that group show that we have in this area, Midway Arts, I've I've just noticed. Well, it, most shows you you produce something that's quite different. So I think you're a real risk taker and a thinker, and um, someone who comes up with lots of ideas. You do a lot of observing what's around you. That's my feeling. And um, and you've come up with some really beautiful concepts for embroidery, which seems to me quite um, original and unique. Yeah, well, I'm um, there's sort of two parts to my embroidery life, if you like. There's the business side. And the business side is very structured. For example, if I'm making a pattern to sell, then I need to be very structured about the threads I use, the colours I use, the stitches I use. I have to write instructions. I have to be very clear. So I can't be very free, and I'm also very aware that I'm 
my market is mostly for the beginners. So I'm very aware that I can't do anything too fancy or difficult or different mm. because I need to use threads that are freely available from Spotlight, for example. I need to make it really easy. Mm. So when I'm designing a pattern and writing about it, it's very structured. Mm. There's no room for faffing about or being yeah. freewheeling. And just so, a question, sorry to interrupt. Um, is there a market for making patterns and kits for advanced people? Um, there certainly are. Um, that's not re- really where I'm at because I figure that once you've been to one of my classes or you've done one of my patterns, you know enough to be able to go off and do your own thing because mm. everybody's got a different idea of what they do, what they want to do. Some people want to do snakes and spiders and um I don't know, you know, that tattoo art kind mm. of style. Some yep. people still want to do kittens and dogs. Some people want to do abstract. Abstract. Mm. So for me, I reckon I would rather start at the lower level, beginner level, and give people the entree mm. to be able to go on. I do do advanced classes sometimes, but only if people ask me to. Because mm. I just feel that, you know, once you've got the basics, you're free mm. to go out and experiment yeah, and which look is so at YouTube great. videos if you want to That's take right. it to the next level. Yeah. And it's so nice that you're giving people that. Yeah. You know, and getting them started on their creative journey often. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I love cool. it. Yeah. So there's that side of it, which is, you know, very structured, as I said. The other side of what I do now, which was very recent, only in the last few years, um, I'm part of, um, as you know, part of the Muroi Arts Open Studios Collective. And that's a group of artists who live out here at Muroi. And um, I joined that because I was kind of bullied into it by Joss Hong, who's a jeweller, <laughs> and Judy Stokes, who's a photographer. And they said, look, you need to join our collective and need to start doing some art. And I said, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. And they said, it just sort of kept on at me. So I did start doing some stuff. And my first exhibition was at the Maroi Arts um, group show at the Surf Club. And I was absolutely terrified Um you know, when you're putting your work mm. out there, mm. they're like your babies and you feel oh, very, absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, a bit mm. nervous. Oh, people yeah. are going to hate this or whatever. And when was that, Liz? Was that so four, that was, that was the, um, not the last one, the one before that. Oh, really? I didn't so realize was that, that four years ago, five years ago? Yeah. So was it, um, and you put in your, was that the little people? That, that was, was little people. Yeah. Yeah. I love those little people. Yeah. Mm. And I love those little people. Mm, you need to make them again. Bring them back. Well, funny you should say that because, and just sort of backtracking a little bit, this creative process of creating so-called art is much different than the structured side of my business. The retail side of my business, which is the kits and the passions and the classes, is very structured. Creating my own art is very freeing. And I love that about it. And I don't have to think about writing instructions. I don't have to think about what colours I've used. I just be and I just stitch and I just go off into a world of whatever. Mm. I love that. And so this is quite a new thing Mm. for me is is Mm. finding that creativity inside. Because I'm so used to being on the business side. Mm. I worked for a merchant bank. My passions are structured. So for me to let loose, I'm mm. actually finding it quite challenging and quite different mm. to let yourself be free. Um, and the little beach people that I did, I live on top of the hill, as you know, and I look down on the beach every day. And in summer, you've got the black sand and these little shapes are on the beach and they're doing different things. They're walking their dogs, they're mm. windsurfing, they're 
paragliding, they're running, they're lying on the beach. And I'm seeing these from a distance. Mm. And so the little beach people came out of that. Mm, it's just that. my view. It was my view so of Marawai. And, um, and it was on black too, wasn't it? Not that it was that on was black. necessarily the sand. It was but on black. Yeah. And so I got lots of commissions for those. Mm. And I did quite a few. And now I never, ever want to do another one, ever. Unlike a lot of artists who take one thing and explore it to death, um, you know, I'm thinking of Alan Maddox and his mm. mad crosses yeah. and Gavin Chilcott and, um, and the, the guy who does the chalices. Um, yeah. Not sure, but yeah. I'm thinking also of the um, – oh, Alan Scott. Who's the one who does the um, the woven sort of lattice, wide rectangular um, – anyway. Yeah. Can't think. Yeah. And yeah. – um, Bill Hammond, who does the birds, for example, they have got this thing that they are exploring so much and so in depth, and they're still looking for that perfect bird painting, for example, mm. and he does amazing work. But I, once I've done five or six or ten little beach people mm. embroideries, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something mm. different. So because I that's, can't, your free, that's your free space. Yeah, and I've, I have to keep doing the same thing again. It's not free. Mm. I'm doing it. Yeah. For somebody else, I'm not doing mm. it for me anymore. And it becomes, it feels like the business again. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know what you're going to ask me. You're going to say, you know, how do you determine what you make? Um, how do you know it's going to sell? And yeah, and I don't. I don't know. I I mm. make what I like. Mm. So you come up with ideas and yeah, give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. And it's unfortunate if it doesn't sell because it's a shame because mm. there is always that tension between wanting to make stuff to mm -hmm. sell. Yeah. You know, I've got to put some food on the table at some point mm. um, versus making what you like. Mm. And you just need to hopefully find a really good, happy balance between yeah. those two things. Yeah. And you would be exactly the same, yeah, you know, what absolutely. I'm talking about. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting one, isn't it? It's one that every creative person or artist struggles with. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've got to be true to yourself. Yeah. But you also want to – there is an element of pleasing other people mm. – and you do want that validation, and validation equals sales. Mm. So if someone's willing to buy your work, that must mean that you are a true artist mm. because people value your work. Yeah, which is interesting again, mm. you know, is that how we should be feeling? I mean, it does – we all feel like that, don't we? Mm. But I guess, you know, getting that confidence to kind of go there but also go to the other place, which is truly for yourself, that's yeah. not necessarily going to be – um, connecting with others in the same way. Yeah, that's mm. right. Mm. And I I don't know enough artists, um, broadly speaking. And I, I think this is the other side of this is the imposter syndrome. Like, for example, I've never trained professionally as a stitcher. There's some amazing embroidery schools out there. There's the Royal School of Needlework in the UK. You can do correspondence courses. I've never done any of that. I'm completely self-taught. So for me to now call myself an embroidery artist is really difficult to do and you know um, some of the things you were saying to me um, before we did this podcast was when did you start thinking about yourself as an artist and it's really recent for me mm. um, the turning point for me was in back in the day when we were allowed to get on an aeroplane um, you had to say what your occupation is on the arrival mm -hmm. form yeah. and I was used to put director because you know I've got my own company mm. And then one day I thought, the hell with it, I'm going to put artist. Good. So I put artist on my arrival form. So that was a couple of years ago. Mm. 
And I thought, I'm, I'm, and people ask you, oh, what do you do? I say, oh, well, you know, yeah. bit of this, bit of that. Yeah. Now I say, oh, I'm an artist. That's so yeah. good. And, and then I, they say, what sort of artist? And I say, I'm an embroidery artist, and their eyes go blank. Oh, no. <laughs> we need to educate them. That's sad. Yeah. I mean, I think embroidery art, yeah, it is kind of a new thing, I guess, to be seen as, as an art as opposed to a craft, although I think craft is becoming more accepted under the art umbrella mm. these days. But um, it's great, and it's probably thanks to people like Joss and Judy from Open Studios who have given you that encouragement, sort of pushed you into that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it without them Which pushing me. so them. good. Yeah, because yeah. it's quite hard to get drag up some confidence from nowhere, mm. You know, especially if you're not formally trained mm. and feel like you've got no special qualifications mm. isn't it funny what qualifications do to you like I mean I'm self-taught also so sometimes I think it takes more time maybe to feel like you're real mm. that what you're doing is could be valued yeah yeah which is crazy you know, I think. and you know as artists we're all very sensitive aren't we mm. <laughs> <laughs> difficult artists oh my god yeah um, oh, yeah. and so coming back to your the the amazing stuff you've made since you've been an artist, um, you had the little people, and then where did you go from there? So um, I have no, you know, I have no idea where my ideas come from. Um, I follow some amazing people on Instagram who are doing incredible things. And that's what I love about social media. Social media's got some bad stuff about it, but the good stuff about it is that people are willing to share their amazing work and it might not necessarily be something that you aspire to but it's so liberating Mm. to see these people all over the world doing amazing work and so I get inspired by that people doing different things and I think well you know sometimes you can be a bit intimidated by that oh everyone else is doing this amazing Mm. stuff and my stuff's rubbish so you on this constant roller coaster of yeah Um, but I just sort of try and keep it really local um, and by local I mean in my own environment in my own space and what do I want to do what colors do I like what do I feel like doing today mm. what I'm working at them on the moment at the moment is um, the Murray Arts um, group show is coming up in May can I give that a little plug Absolutely. Mandy? yeah thank you and um, for that, I'm actually working more on technique rather than subject matter. Um, I'm working on some really delicate projects, which is technically really difficult. And um, I'm exploring that side of things at mm. the moment. Wow. I'm actually stitching on organza, which is incredibly hard. Mm. And so I'm enjoying that challenge. So mm. I'm going to, I'm sort of halfway through and I'm just about to tear my hair out and start wow. with something else. <laughs> that sounds amazing, though. It'd be beautiful. And is that the leaf, the dead leaf? Yeah, it's leaf? an extension of that. Um, so can you tell us about, go back to the leaf Yeah, work? so we had an exhibition at um, Arake last year um, as part of the Murawai Open Studios group. And for that, I created some embroidered leaves. So I went through the forest and picked up a lot of skeleton leaves and I cut those in half and I sewed on half of the leaf to a piece of organza and then I embroidered the other half. Mm. So the thinking behind that was regeneration, recycling, reusing things that may have 
you may think that they've got no more use in life, but here we are, you know, it's lying on the ground composting away and I've sort of picked it up and mm. given it another lease of life. Mm, I love that. And so I was exploring those ideas. Um, so I haven't finished with that exploration yet. So this work that I'm doing at the moment is an exploration of that. Mm. And I was fascinated because it was so difficult to stitch on this particular fabric. I thought, I've got more work to do here. I wanna, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to mm. get the hang of it. But I have to report that I haven't so far. So. But I felt like you had got it totally nailed from what I saw. <laughs> well, I'm happy with the way it turned out, but I think it could be better. Mm. So I'm continuing the process mm. and so, you're using the was it metallic threads or yes yes um there's lots and lots of different sorts of threads out there um a lot of them are um very specialist and very expensive and because i do a lot of experimentation i tend to buy just dmc which is a very common mm. brand of embroidery thread because yeah. it's easily available and affordable yeah that's um i mean i just felt like the uh the decaying leaf or, you know, skeletal leaf with the with the metallic in particular, with the especially with the black linen background and it was just such a striking contrast and mm. so beautiful. I mean I'm ab- absolutely gonna get one of those at some <laughs> point, so you better keep making them. <laughs> but um yeah, I think they're they're so beautiful and then the idea that you've taken them from the local forest um is pretty special as well. Do you have favourite trees that you work from um no not really um I just sort of go foraging um the the ones that I did for that series was a mahu tree mahu leaf they Uh make really good skeleton leaves Mm. other leaves don't really decompose Mm. as evenly Mm. as mahu yeah so they're the ones I use mostly I've been trying to work with camellia leaves and drying them you know putting them under a heavy book for a few weeks but they never really turn out that well and I've tried a few different methods, and I haven't really nailed that mm. either. So look, there's just so many different things. Yeah. But it's so a, many ideas, not enough time. Yeah, but it's a process, and it's it's neat that you're experimenting and, you know, trying stuff out and modifying and doing all that cool stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's endless. Mm. It's endless number of things to try, and that's mm. what I love about it. Yeah. I said it's frustrating but also quite exhilarating. Mm. But you do so. really interesting work, and I loved your People with the Shadows as well. I love those too. Yeah. But that's a really good example of work that you love but nobody else does or they didn't buy it, mm. I suppose. You maybe need to get it out more in different places. Well, it was a bit unfortunate because COVID, we had that exhibition at the Kumu Arts Centre and it was, I think, the world's shortest exhibition because mm. it was. I think we opened on the 23rd of March and we were locked down on the 25th. So, oh, what a shame. Mm. So yeah. they, they'll resurface at yeah, some point. Yeah, I think they should. They're in my gallery at home. So my yeah. next open studio, they will be featuring. Well, that's good. And um, just tell us briefly about the open studio concept. So the open studio concept um, grew out of um, the Mirawai, um Arts Group Show, which is held at the Surf Club every two years. And um, a little. this is a little bit before my time, but as part of that, a number of the artists who showed at the group show also had an open studio. So the idea would be that you'd go to the surf club, look at the art of 40 to 50 to 60 artists, and then there would be a select few of those artists who lived locally who would have an open studio so you could go to meet the artist, talk to them about their process, see how they work, mm. which is a brilliant yeah, concept because so people are so interested mm. in how – how you work and, and the, the work means a lot more yeah. when you know the backstory. Yeah, and so the formal Murawai Arts Open Studio Group 
formed a couple of years ago out of that. And now we um, are still um, aligned with the Maroi Arts group show, but we also do other shows throughout the year mm. independently mm. of that. So um, last year we were at, we did a, um, a really cool exhibition at Arake and um, we've done one at the Brown Brown Street Gallery. Yeah. And we've also participated in Auckland Art Week. We've done that twice now, which was fantastic. Mm. Really, really good fun. So good. Um, we started doing this um, art and food and wine degustation event. So, mm. you know, you come to all of the open studios, have something to eat, something to drink, while looking at all their artwork and talking to the artists. And that was a, a ticketed event, which mm. was Really good fun. Yeah, we had a blast. So good. Yeah, yeah. I did that. It's yeah, very good. So you get on the bus and get driven around and yeah, you get some wine. And, yeah, Such a good fantastic. concept. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so we're looking good. to invite more. Um, there's quite a few artists around this area. So we're mm. looking to um, grow that group um, and, and, you know, be part of it, be part of local exhibitions. And we want to start exploring more ideas, maybe do something with the Kumu Arts Centre. Mm. Um uh, our aim is to get art out and to make it more accessible, mm. support each other yeah. in our endeavours yeah. because being an artist can be quite lonely, mm. as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, so to have the support of, of mm. friends it's who so are good. in the same industry yeah. means a lot. That's brilliant. And also um, having sort of regular events through the year rather yeah. than, you know, every two years like the Middle Arts yeah. group show. Um, it's just nice to have stuff to aim for, I guess, yeah. for an artist. Yeah. It keeps you moving and It's thinking. a goal and it's, if you know you've got something coming up yeah. in October, then that gets you into your studio mm. and thinking about what to make. And yeah, absolutely. So it's a, That's great. Yeah. Good. So um, so interesting talking to you about all of that amazing stuff. Um, where to from here? So where to from here? That's interesting. I um, really want to continue with my classes um, and now that I've been involved with the group for a couple of years now, I definitely want to explore more art and as becoming more self-accepting of the fact that I now call myself an artist. Yeah. Um, I feel that I've given myself permission to explore that a little bit more. Mm, that's so good. Um, for people who are artists who are listening to this, I'm sure they will understand that feeling. Pe for people who aren't, um, they may not realise what how difficult mentally it is to get yourself into a space to allow yourself to create and then allow yourself to put it out in the public without dying inside mm. every time. Because mm -hmm. I think we've all been in a situation where we've gone to a gallery and thought, oh, my God, I could have done that, you mm. know. Yeah. But the fact is that you haven't done it and, mm. you know, this person has and mm. they put it out there for the world to see and yeah. it's not up to you to criticise, mm. you know, just – look at it and you may may not be your cup of tea, but someone has gone to the trouble of making this, so respect that. Mm. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely going to work on that a little bit more. Um, and I want to continue the the business side of things. Um, that gives me an opportunity to create, to connect with my tribe, if you like, all the stitches out there. I get a lot of people emailing me little questions and I love the feedback on social media. So it's my my little world. It's a little world, it has to be said. Embroidery is a very niche market, 
but the people who are in it are neat. I think mm. it's like gardeners. You know, gardeners are all really nice people too. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I've got my own little group of embroiderers. Yeah, which is so beautiful, isn't yeah. it? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it I almost love it. becomes like a support network. Yeah, and people send me photos of um, my kits when they're halfway through and say, oh, look, you know, I'm halfway through. I'm so excited. Mm, that's oh, lovely. It's wonderful. Gives yeah. me a thrill. Gives me an absolute thrill yeah, every I time I get an email or a picture from somebody. Yeah. It's yeah. really special. It's yeah. quite personal, isn't it? Small things, Mandy. Small yeah. things. Well, small but important things, Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And um, I guess we need to kind of wrap it up. Um, and I need to fire some quick Kiwi questions your way. So I think I know the answer to some of these already. But um, let's have a go. Beach or mountain? Beach. Kereru. This is going to be tricky for you, Liz, because I know how much you like birds. Kereru or Tui? Oh, well, that's impossible to answer. I love them both. I'm really lucky. I mentioned before that I live on a hilltop and I get regular displays from both. The Kereru come flying past and they're so big and fat and I think, how on earth do they stay in the air? And um, all of Muruai is involved in a rat trapping program. I'm sure you're part of it. And since we've been living here, so I've been living here. Um, I've definitely noticed a different a difference in the amount of birds that are flying around. Yeah, me too. And the I love the two because I've got lots of flax bushes. So I look out at my garden. I get up in the morning and there's half a dozen of them. Mm. You know, I've got these snouts and the flax. Mm. I, so I'm sorry, I can't. You I don't can't have choose. a preference. Okay, we can accept that answer. <laughs> Favorite native. This is also tricky for you, I think. Favorite native tree. Well, once upon a time, I would have said um, the Pudakawa because who doesn't love a beautiful Pudakawa in, in full bloom? Um, but I'm sort of I'm crushing on the Kofi at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down South Island a few years ago and went through, um, drove from Christchurch to Ar- um, through Arthur's Pass over to Westport and through the valley there, all the kofi were out in mm. glorious bloom. And wow. I've never seen anything like it. You get the odd one or two up here, yeah, but you don't, you don't see, see them on mass. No, you don't see them no. on, on mass. But down there, they were all in the forest and wow. on mass, this stunning display. How amazing. And I've also was given a kofi by a good friend um, in remembrance of my husband. So it's in my garden and it's outside his fishing shed. So every time I drive past it, I just, you know, it gives mm. me a little... Thrill. That's so beautiful. So, yeah, I'd have to say the Kofi. Very good answer. That's lovely that you've got that. Uh, North Island of New Zealand or South Island? Um, well, again, I'm torn because I love the North Island. I've spent a lot of time here. I'm from Auckland. Um, but having just been recently in the South Island, I've loved that too. I love mm. Queenstown. Mm. I love all of that. And there's so much um, of the South Island I haven't seen. Um, my mother is from Westport. I've spent a bit of time on the oh, West wow, Coast. Really? Been up to Deniston, looked all around there. I'm I'm torn. That's mm. not a very good answer, is it? But no, no. I've equal favourites. It's a common answer. And I haven't worry. been to Stewart Island. No, nor have I. That's I need to go there. The place I'd like to go to, actually, if I had to choose one place. Yeah. Interesting. Your mum is from Westport. Wow. Yeah. Good tough West Coast yes. stock. No wonder she was doing all that making out on the secluded West Coast. Uh, and last question: What? Is your favourite place in New Zealand, apart from Murawai Beach, and why? Oh, that's a toughie. That's really tough because, um, of course, I would have said Murawai. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I wasn't didn't really know about Murawai until um, I met Rob, my husband, because um, he grew up 
out, he didn't grow up out here, but he surfed here as a teenager and spent oh. a lot of time here. Oh, wow. And then when he bought his batch out here, it was the first time I'd actually spent any time out here. Mm. The first few times I came out here by myself, I got completely lost. I just had no idea how to find it. It was mm. just like this remote Somewhere out there. Away yeah. from Auckland. But of course, I've come to love it. Mm. Um, and other places I love are anywhere near a beach. I love Ahipara. Um those remote east coast beaches mm. are fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, coastal areas. Mm. Yeah, yeah, coastal for sure. And um, what do you think it is about Murawai Beach that captures you? The community out here um, has been very welcoming to me and my husband, and we felt that very early on. Initially, when we were coming out here, we were spending our time partly in town and partly out here when we had a batch. Now that we, um, when we moved out here full time, we really got a lot more involved in the community and that has been my saving grace. Mm. Um, as you know, I lost my husband last year and the community here is sort of so rallied around me and mm. I've been so grateful for that. Yeah, it's awesome. In addition to the inspiration for my art, um, having such a good caring community mm. close community you know you can reach out and ask for help yeah um sometimes i have a lot of friends in town too but it's a different feel everyone's busy running mm. around in town but out mm. here even people are busy as well but they that's don't interesting, isn't they it? always still have time that's right yeah. for the personal touch yeah you know people yeah. drop food at your doorstep and all you need to do is put a shout out and there's people come running yeah. and I love that that's still a little bit of quintessential New yeah. Zealand small town absolutely stuff yeah it's yeah. a perfect combination in a way isn't it with that but then the city nearby mm. yeah we're very and lucky then the beach and the weather yeah love it all right well thank you so much Liz I mean we've uh, we have spent a bit of time together now that I've done my my class with yes. you yes and I have come to Liz for a number of you know, a little bit of help with my <laughs> embroidery. And your work is fabulous. You've well, done, I, you learnt very well. You were a very you. good student. Excellent teacher. And um, I must admit, I've kind of gone a bit soft with my embroidery lately. I haven't really been doing it very much for some reason. Well, I think the winter, painting took winter, over Yeah, well, winter's around the corner, so you might find that yeah. you'll pick it up again in winter. It's a nice, cosy thing to do in winter. Yeah, and I know that I um, the last work that I was working on, is I had the wrong-sized circle thing. Yeah. And it was I didn't like having to move my linen, yeah. so I, yeah. you know, sometimes it's the the right tools is important. The right but, tools are important. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know we're in the Murawai Makers group together. Yes. We meet once a month, and um, it's been lovely. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And it's so lovely to hear your story. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Lovely. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Mandy. <laughs> 